Well, good morning again, everyone. I want to say welcome, but welcome now not only to those of you who are here in this room, but welcome especially to those of you joining us right now in our traditional sanctuary and also online and on TV. I'm really glad you guys are here. I'm glad to be here with you. Glad that all of us have this chance to be together and learn from God's word together and hopefully grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. Today we're beginning the, or we're, we're in the fifth week of a sermon series called Imagine This. It's the fifth and final week. And for those of you who may be new here today, just kind of starting off at the end of this series, it's actually really a great day for you to be here. It's an opportunity for, to kind of get caught up on the summary of all that we've been doing for the last month or so. And if you've been here for all the last five weeks, it's a really good day to tie together some of the threads that we've been learning individually there. We've been involved in this series called Imagine This. And we've been listening to Jesus' parables as he tells stories to spark our imagination, to try to help us see and understand, to imagine the work of God, the kingdom of God, differently than how we did before. And today, rather than read just one of those individual stories, I wanna kinda look back over all of them and focus on one theme that was common in all those stories, and that is this theme, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. I want to focus on that today because that is a, it's a hard phrase for us. I think it's hard to understand. It's one of those things that if you're around church very much, you've probably heard that before. It's one of those phrases that I think can make you kind of nod your head and pretend like you understand, like that's good, but I don't really know what it means, you know? I actually, I kind of had this experience growing up myself. I, as some of you know, if you've heard my story before, I, w- I went to a Christian school growing up. And I remember in Bible class in my Christian school, I heard that phrase a lot. A lot of my teachers would use the phrase from time to time, kingdom of God. The only problem is nobody ever told me what it meant. I didn't know what that was. And I don't think I was alone. So I actually remember this. It's kind of funny, the memories you have. I remember being in the eighth grade and I finally decided to come up with a definition for the kingdom of God because, you know, I can do that, right? Just decide. <laughs> it's not usually a good idea. But I think I had the same problem that a lot of us have. I don't think I'm alone in this. Relating to the word kingdom is difficult. Just quick show of hands here in the Fellowship Hall, a traditional sanctuary. Raise your hand if for five or ten years or more you ever lived in a kingdom. Raise your hand. Right? Very few of us have ever experienced firsthand what a kingdom is like. And so when Jesus comes and says, well, the kingdom of God is like this, like it kind of fails to connect sometimes. It's, it's a nice word that we nod our heads at, but at least I think sometimes it, it fails to really touch down on the ground. Like, what does that actually mean in the midst of our lives? So today I want to talk to you about that concept because I think there's a lot at stake in that. I think it, if we understood what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of God, I think it has the potential to be one of the most transformative insights that many of us have probably ever experienced. So I want to spend a little time reflecting on that with you today. And I think we start thinking about what's a kingdom. You can think about a kingdom in two categories. Every kingdom has a king, and every kingdom has a way of life under the king. A king, and you might say like a culture, or even a system of values. Like when Jesus was teaching those very first hearers, audiences, listeners of his, they all knew what the word kingdom meant. They all lived in a kingdom. They all lived in a kingdom called Rome. And the kingdom of Rome, which we often now call the Roman Empire, same thing in this case, it had a king at that time and for most of Jesus' life, that king, his name was Tiberius Caesar. He was the king and there was a way of life under the king. Now I was trying to think like if I could communicate to you kind of some of the basic patterns or values of life that were the way of life under the king and I thought of a few. 
For the kingdom of Rome, probably the very first value for the kingdom of Rome is this. Rome comes first. Rome is first. This is not all that surprising. That's what we call it, the kingdom of Rome. But the Roman Empire was a big place. I mean, it stretched all across the Mediterranean world. Right at the heart of it was the city of Rome. And Rome came first for everybody. It was the head and heart of the whole empire. So if you lived in one of the nations or people groups that was kind of out on the far-flung edges of the Roman Empire, I mean, they would mostly kind of let you do life your way. You could do what you wanted to do as long as, as long as you were good for the reputation of Rome, as long as you honored Rome, as long as you spoke well of the Roman officials, as long as you venerated the Roman Empire and emperor, as long as you offered sacrifices and worshiped the Roman gods, as long as, and this might be the most important one, you sent your tax money all the way back to Rome, They wanted that because why? Rome comes first. It's probably the most important value in the kingdom of Rome. But then I was thinking there's another value in the kingdom of Rome, and that's this one. Peace through power. Peace through power. If if any of you are historians, you might think it sounds a little funny that I would talk about the Roman Empire or the kingdom of Rome in terms of peace because they were one of the greatest war machines ever. I mean, they, they were really good at war, and they fought a lot of them. But the Roman Empire, the kingdom of Rome, didn't want to fight any more wars than it had to because, for one thing, wars are expensive. It cost them a lot of money. They wanted to keep that money in Rome if they could. They're also kind of unpredictable. I mean, you never know when you enter a war. You could lose. It's dangerous. So Rome preferred times of peace if they could get it. And so if you were one of those peoples way out on the edges of the empire, they'd leave you alone. You could do your thing out there as long as you kept the peace. As long as you didn't cause any trouble, say bad things about Rome, keep paying your taxes. As long as you kept the peace out there, everything is fine. But if they found out that you were getting a little too big for your britches, if they found out that maybe you were starting to say anti-Rome stuff, oh man, they'd roll in and start crucifying people. They'd show you what happens to people like that. They'd send out one of the legions of the army, maybe multiple legions of the army, and they would reestablish peace through power. They'd mow you down. And I wouldn't blame you if some of you hear that and you go, is that actually peace? Would, Would you call that peace? And that's a pretty fair question. But if you ask somebody in Rome, they would say, yeah, that's our peace, and we get it through power. Rome comes first, peace through power. And I think a third value, just to give you a picture maybe of life on the ground and the daily life of people in the kingdom of Rome, it was a value in the Roman Empire that you respected the natural order of people. The natural order of people. What I mean by that is that in the Roman Empire, in the kingdom of Rome, they believed that some people were just better than other people. Some people were just smarter than other people. Some people should be in charge and some people should be like under charge. And that's just, you were just born. Some people are born to be in charge and some people are born to be bossed around. And you're kind of dependent not just on you being an individual, but with like group or class you're a part of. I thought I'd give you an example here. I want to read you. This is a quotation uh, from the philosopher Aristotle, who was Greek, not Roman, but the Romans got a lot of their uh, ideas from the Greeks. And uh, I gotta say this before I start reading. A lot of times if I open my open Bible and read to you or pull out a card, I'm reading a Bible passage. What I'm about to read to you before anybody yells at me, this is not from the Bible, okay? This is important to understand. Uh, And it's not even something that I think is good. I just wanna give you a picture of life in the Roman Empire. This is what Aristotle said. For the male is by nature better fitted to command than the female, and the older is better than the younger. For the free rule the slaves, The male rules the female, and the man rules the child in different ways. For the slave, get this part, for the slave has not got the thinking part at all, and the female has it but without full control, while the child has it in undeveloped form. 
Are you getting the picture that life in the Roman Empire was really fun for a very small number of people and for everybody else, not so hot? Except the people who were in charge of the kingdom of Rome, they didn't really care what everybody else thought because they weren't in charge and these guys were and it was all guys. (laughs) So that was okay for them. There was a way of life under the king and there was the king who embodied the values himself. Tiberius Caesar as the example in this case. And he was the one who embodied or was supposed to embody the values of the kingdom of Rome better than anybody else. So he ruled over the people around him and he commanded the armies and he kept peace by killing his enemies because he was the great Roman hero. He was the great Roman man. And I'll tell you, I put myself in the shoes of people, the everyday people in the Roman Empire. I started thinking through stuff like this and I think it's no wonder that when Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God has come near, that he said, this is good news. Because if I heard, if I lived in that kingdom, and then I heard there was another better kingdom coming, you bet I'd experience that as good news. But we don't live in the first century kingdom of Rome. We live in 21st century America, or 21st century Western world, and we don't actually have a king anymore, but I think we can still pretty ably call the system that we live in the kingdom of this world. We still have a way of life. We still have a value system, patterns that we all fall into. And I was trying to think about what is it that the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know? I mean, what are those parallel patterns that we live in? So I started thinking about the values of our world, and I bet you could think of a bunch of them too. The first one I thought of when I started thinking about this that defines the value system of the kingdom that we live in is this one. More stuff equals more happy right? More stuff equals more happy. Now, this is a funny one because when I say this out loud, nobody ever agrees with this, right? Nobody believes this once we say it out loud. But I think most of us are at least very, very tempted to believe this most of the time. All the advertisements we see coming at us all the time are designed to play on this particular value. You know, you don't have to buy everything. You don't have to own everything. But if you had just this one more thing, just this one thing, wouldn't your life be just a little bit more happy? And I mean, I'm not trying to bash anybody here, but like really smart advertising people with really big budgets, motivated by the profit motive, with tools at their hands of very powerful analytics, have figured out that it is effective to play this game with you all the time, right? More stuff equals more happy. I'm not saying that's true or good, but I think a lot of us believe it a lot of the time. Or another value that we have, I think, if I, let's, let's go a little bit more positive. I think in this part of the world, in our lives, we have a value on something roughly like democracy. We want, at least in theory, and we do the best we can, we want everybody to count. We, want, we believe everybody should have a vote when some decision is made. We believe everybody should have a voice. And thanks to the marvel of the modern internet, we can shout those voices as loud as we want, right? Or, well, as long as you can get access to it. We believe in something like democracy. It's one of our more positive values. But then I thought of another one that's probably less positive. I think it could be fairly said of the world, the system, the society that we live in, that on the whole, we value beauty more than character. Or maybe I would say it this way. What's on the outside is more important than what's on the inside. And I don't want that to be true, but I think by and large in our society, I think it is. I mean, think about it this way. Think about the things that define social success. What do we reward as a society? You can become pretty wealthy and you can become pretty famous. You can become socially pretty successful. You can get your picture on the cover of a magazine, whether that's a digital magazine or a print magazine, pretty much for nothing other than being beautiful. 
As long as you're good on the outside, you could probably go pretty far. But you don't achieve a lot of social success. You don't get rewarded by society. You don't become really wealthy and famous and get your picture on the cover of newspapers or magazines for being basically kind or honest or compassionate or something. Once in a while is a human interest piece, which is just the exception that proves the rule in this case. I think this value stinks. I think this value really hurts us. A couple of years ago, I saw something that I, I kind of didn't share for a while because I wanted it to stay anonymous, and I think it's safe to share it with you now. A couple of years ago, it was right around school picture time, kind of around this time of the year in the fall, and I saw a middle school girl get her school pictures back. I was just kind of seeing down the hallway. I saw this middle school girl get her pictures back, and I saw her open up her pictures, and it was amazing what you could just see on the expression of her face. I saw her open up her pictures, and I saw, I'm pretty sure, I saw her begin to hate herself just a little bit because of what the camera captured. You know, cameras are good at capturing the outside, but not the inside. And I could see what she saw on herself that she didn't like. And it's like it was visible. You could just see like joy and confidence just leak right out of her. I just hate that stuff, you know? And I think about what the values of the kingdom of this world, what they do to people, just makes me angry. I just hate that stuff. I think sometimes we value what's on the outside a lot more than we value what's on the inside. You guys could think of more examples. We could think of a lot of them. One thing that's different about the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of Rome that Jesus lived in is we don't really have one single king, I think, who embodies all these values, one person that we look to. And if we did in our society, our heroes who embody the values that we have come to admire I don't think they're usually military leaders or political leaders like they might be in a typical kingdom, you'd imagine. I think in the kingdom of this world, the heroes who embody our values usually are like athletes or entertainers or celebrities or somebody. It's just consistent with the kingdom that we live in. That's the kingdom of this world. And it's into this world, you know, this world that in the last 2,000 years has changed a lot. And yet at the same time, it feels like it's hardly changed very much at all. It's into this world that Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. So turn, that's what the the biblical, more theological word for that is repent. It means turn. The kingdom of God has come near. So turn away from all that stuff. You don't have to go that way. Turn and go a different direction. Come follow me and believe this good news. That's good news indeed. And just like in the kingdom of Rome and in the kingdom of this world, I think you can see the embodiment of, you can see the values of the kingdom by seeing them embodied in the leader. And you can tell something about the kingdom of God by looking at the life of Jesus. You can see by looking at the story of the king and by the life of the king that one thing is true, that this kingdom will run on the value of human dignity. You read through the life stories of Jesus and you see him, he continually stops and spends time with and talks to people that nobody else was even noticing or caring about. I mean, he talked to them like they were worth talking to. Can you imagine? He would stop and sometimes my favorite part of some of the most amazing stories in the gospels is it'll just say Jesus looked at him. I just think like Jesus like noticed people, you know? He looked at people and loved them as if they were worth loving. One of the values of the kingdom of God that we learn from the king himself, he embodied them, was the value of human dignity. I'll tell you, man, you look at the stories of Jesus' life and think about him in the first century in the kingdom of Rome, you could also tell that the kingdom of God was gonna have a whole different operating system when it came to gender. 
Because Jesus, uniquely in his world, he had women who were prominent among his disciples that he would teach and teach them the way of God. Man, other first century Jewish rabbis, they didn't do that because they didn't think that was their place. But you can see the stories of Jesus' life and know the names of his male and female disciples that he taught them all alike and he taught them the ways of the kingdom and sent them out to share his message and teach his way and represent him in the world. It's amazing stuff. And I'll be the first to admit that a lot of us in church history have messed this up over the years. But nevertheless, I want to point out that Jesus himself like pushed the world forward on this point. Another value in the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring that we learn from seeing it embodied in the king is the value of transformational forgiveness. Transformational forgiveness, right? In the kingdom of Rome in Jesus' day, there wasn't really a lot of space for forgiveness. You cross the wrong person, you die. That's kind of the end of the story. In the kingdom of this world, we don't have a lot of place for transformation. You can pretty much do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy because your personal happiness is like the highest goal in the whole world. And so you don't really rarely ever have to be forgiven for much and you almost never have to change anything. But Jesus came and he met people who were messed up. They were doing bad stuff. They were hurting people. They were hurting themselves. They were part of a system that was messing things up. And Jesus came to them and he offered them forgiveness. He offered them the very grace and forgiveness of God. But he loved them. And he loved them and he loved the people around them way too much to let them go on living like that. So Jesus would say, come, come. And he'd say it to anyone, anytime, any place. And then he'd say, come, now follow me. Now follow me. The kingdom ran on the value of transformational forgiveness. The kingdom of God has come near. Turn and believe this good news. I, I think on the one hand, I mean, when you talk about it like this, I feel like this should be a no-brainer. You know, like you could live in the kingdom of this world or you could live for the kingdom of God. This should be an easy choice. Like, who wants, to, who wants to say, well, yeah, I'd like to live in a system that's ruled by materialism and the objectification of other people. I'd like to live for the kingdom that, that discriminates and oppresses the poor, discriminates against classes of people, that resorts to violence to solve all its problems. I'd like to live in a kingdom that has really no substantial hope at all for what happens to me after I die. Sign me up for that. That's not very inspiring, Right? Instead, Jesus comes and he goes, the kingdom of God, it's coming near. It's in me. The kingdom of God has come near. So turn from that. Come and believe this good news. And Jesus offered people life. He offered them the way of life in this world, here and now, the way that would build up them as human beings, would build up community, heal relationships, that would usher in the way of God in this world, and it would offer peace and joy, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Victory over the grave itself. I mean, like, this should be a no-brainer. It should be an easy choice. And yet it's not always easy. And I think that's because we live right here in the midst of the kingdom of this world. And it has our ear, you know? I mean, like we are inundated with the messages and the images of the kingdom of this world all the time. And they invite us to own and practice those values and follow that way instead. You know what, you know what has really sensitized me to this probably more than anything else? is being a parent. You know, it's just like thinking about all the things, all the images and messages that are sent to my kids all the time by mass media or individual relationships or people they encounter. And you don't have to have biological kids yourself to have this experience. Our church family has children. 
And I'd just like you to think about the world that those children live in and what they're being marketed and sold and told and what's being modeled for them everywhere they go. It is usually not the kingdom of God. It is usually the kingdom of this world. And there are some things that help me in the midst of the kingdom of this world say, I wanna go for the kingdom of God instead. And one of the things that I think can help us with this, one of the things that I know that helps me is just to tell the truth about this stuff. Like to unmask the lies of the kingdom of this world, to acknowledge the truth, to take a look at the promises of happiness that are made by the kingdom of this world and to remember and to realize that they are short-term empty promises. Right, like we all know it's not true. More stuff doesn't make you happier. And cheap relationships will never fill up the hole in your heart And being popular doesn't mean you have friends and that you have family. And that being powerful doesn't make you right. We gotta just say this stuff out loud, recognize the life-stealing lies that those things really are. And you know who just did this and set an example for the rest of us? Our confirmation students last week. Last week in our confirmation students, 30, or every service, 35 10th graders stood up to say yes to Jesus, say yes for life in the kingdom of God. But in the service that we shared together, before they professed their positive faith in Jesus, they were asked, do you renounce all the forces of evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? And 35 10th graders said with one voice, we do. Amen, we do. And you 10th graders, would you just keep on leading us that way? Would you set an example for the rest of us? I mean, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers. You guys gotta remind us, okay? And don't forget yourselves either. You wanna unmask the lies. Another thing that helps me is not only to acknowledge the empty promises, but to like start taking some ground to engage in the battle. Like when you leave this place, when I leave this place, every single one of us, when we go out here, out from here today, you are on the mission field. We are out there on the mission field. We are like agents of the kingdom of God in foreign territory. You are leaving, you are, you are agents of the kingdom of God in a foreign country. And that foreign land is not hospitable to the values of the kingdom. You're in the kingdom of this world and it is hostile to the values of the kingdom of God. Now I was talking about this once with Pastor Angie a few months ago. And she, we were talking about this image, and she said, you know, she said, that's great, but you know what, the word agent can be kind of intimidating, Steve, and I guess that's pretty true, actually. And she said, what if instead of agents, what if we were like kingdom sparks? I was like, yeah, that's brilliant, actually, that's really cool, because you know what little sparks do? Set big fires, right? Little sparks set big fires. And then I realized, as I was preparing for today, that what she said was a lot like what Jesus said, go figure, right? Because Jesus said, little mustard seeds grow big trees, So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and the kingdom of God could be like a spark that sets a big fire. So let's go out from this place as kingdom agents taking new ground or kingdom sparks setting fire, right? Let's go out there and love our neighbors as ourselves. Just go repay evil with good. Let's go dignify the outcasts and care for the poor. Let's go out there and where the world says violence, let's say peace. Let's go out there where the world says greed, let's pursue generosity. In fact, we have a special opportunity. We are coming up right now in the last two months of the year, coming up almost toward Christmas time soon. It is the greediest time of the year, isn't it? I mean, probably shouldn't be, but I think in actuality it probably is. What if this year we would set off some sparks for the kingdom of God? What if this year at Christmas time a whole bunch of people, a kingdom movement of people like us, would pursue the kingdom of God more highly than we pursued the kingdom of me? Wouldn't that be cool? We could do something. And you know, while I'm talking to you about life in the kingdom of God and imagining living in and for the kingdom, 
I just want to take a minute and acknowledge that I know that there are some of you here who are checking this stuff out and thinking about this and exploring this, and you haven't yet said yes to Jesus' invitation to receive life in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus came and said the kingdom of God has come near, and he invited us to turn from one thing and move and move into life in the kingdom instead. And I understand it takes time to think about that. Jesus himself said, count the cost before you do that. But maybe for some of you, today is the day. Maybe for some of you today is the day to say, yes, sign me up. I would like to turn from that and go this way. Maybe today is the day to say yes to Jesus' invitation in your life and to receive new life, to receive the gift of life in this world and in the life to come. Whether that's you today or whether you said yes to Jesus decades ago, there's one other thing that really helps us live the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of this world, and that is to practice together. To practice in here for life out there. One of the things we're gonna do after this message toward the end of the worship service today is we're gonna share a meal together, a symbolic meal. We're gonna share the Lord's Supper, sometimes called communion. Right at the very end of Jesus' life on this earth with his first disciples, he was gathered together with them and shared a last supper with them. It was a kingdom meal. And ever since that day, disciples of Jesus have been handing that practice down generation to generation until today. And when we celebrate that meal together, it's a kingdom meal, and we honor the king. Every time we celebrate that meal, we retell the story of Jesus' love and the story of Jesus' death, which in many ways is also the story of his life. We honor the king. We also practice the values of the kingdom together. We come together to share in a small symbolic amount of bread and wine or juice. We come together in humility and dependence on the grace and power of God together in dignity and equality and brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ. We come together in the value of transformational forgiveness because we come and meet the grace of God exactly where we are and receive the love of Jesus that compels us and sends us into the newness of life. And when we celebrate this meal together, we kind of make a, a symbolic promise. We make a symbolic promise that when we kind of push back from the table, when we're done with the meal and we go back out into the rest of our lives, that we're gonna strive to live the rest of our lives by the same values that we embody at the table that we share. And today's an especially special day for celebrating this meal together. It's a holiday in the Christian year called All Saints Day. It's a day that we mark out, a time to remember so that we don't forget that those of us who gather at this table is not limited to those of us we can see right now. We remember all the other citizens and agents and sparks of the kingdom who maybe live in faraway places, who aren't physically with us at this meal. Some of us are separated just by a hallway right here in this building. It's one extended table. Maybe people who are around the world somewhere. But very often we're thinking of saints of God, fellow followers of Jesus Christ who have lived in other centuries, who've come before us and gone on into eternity. And so we have this practice when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together on this holiday that after we share in a small symbolic bread and wine that we go and we light a candle and there's tables of candles in both of our worship venues and we light a little candle, not because there's anything magic about candles, but because it's a symbol of the light of Christ. It's just meant to remind us of the light of Christ that has shined in them and that shines also in us. The light of Christ that the darkness of the kingdom of this world cannot overcome. So the last five weeks have been part of a series called Imagine This. I've been listening to Jesus' specific teaching that the kingdom of God is like a man who went and sowed seed in a field and sometimes it received a mixed reception and sometimes weeds grew up and God said, give it time. 
The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or a little bit of leaven and little thing works through and changes a whole big thing. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field that's worth everything and it brings joy to your whole life. Today we just listen to Jesus' invitation to see the kingdom at all, to remember that the kingdom of God has come near and to imagine that the kingdom of this world is passing away. I mean, imagine all those things that break the human heart that wreck families and communities and friendships and relationships that make life here on earth so much less than God intended it to be. This kingdom of this world is passing away. All the sin, all the violence, all the insecurity based over beauty and wealth and status, all the fear, it's just passing away. And Jesus said, in its place, the kingdom of God is coming. And just imagine with me for a second if the church believed that good news. Imagine if we believed that and we turned we turned from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. Before the world begins to turn, just imagine what would happen if the church began to turn. What would happen in our relationships? What that would mean in our families? In the little corners of the world that each of us inhabit? In our neighborhoods and in our schools? In our workplaces? Just imagine the kingdom fire that would start to burn when all the sparks go out from this place. I think that's what Jesus saw. I think that's what he was saying, forming a kingdom imagination in us. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. So turn and believe this good news. Let's just pray right now that God would give us the strength to do exactly those things. Father in heaven, give us your spirit. Would you be present to us? Come give us strength to believe. Give us the eyes to see. Father, shape our imagination. Give us the strength strength and courage to turn. Take us away from the life that is not life and give us the life that is truly life. God, each of us here in this place, we say yes to you today. We say no. We turn away from the values of the kingdom of this world that steal life from us and say yes to you. And I pray that you would knit us together, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to unmask the lies, that you would help us to take ground and set fire and that you would hear even in these worship services that we share this morning, that you would strengthen us together with one another for love and service, faith and obedience to you and your kingdom in this world. We live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.